like us to take up and read from our Bibles together at Exodus chapter 17. And we want to turn there. We'll be referring to many passages in the Bible today, but there especially in the first seven verses of Exodus chapter 17 will be our text for this morning's sermon about this event of, uh, at, that occurred at Rephidim. Hear the word of God. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with his people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. And you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Thus far we read the word of God, and here we are, Israel in the wilderness and complaining again. They're led to a place called Rephidim a few months after the exodus from Egypt on the way to Mount Sinai, and they're complaining again. In fact, this is the second of three accounts of the murmuring caused by thirst of this people, some two million in a waste-howling wilderness where there was no water. The first time, remember, as we've been going through this uh, book of Exodus, was at Marah, bitter. That was where the water was bitter and God made it sweet. God put Israel to the test then. Striking at this time at Rephidim, Israel is putting God to the test. They're tempting him because they don't trust him. Now, beloved, this is Old Testament history. history. It's history of Israel, uh, different people nationally and ethnicity, wise. But this is for us, because the Bible is one. It's one message of the one people of God of all ages, in different manifestations, but of the one God of the people and of his mercy. There is much to be learned, in fact, from this event here at Rephidim, named in, in, in a fitting way after their complaining, Massa and Meribah. Israel was to recall this, this place and this event. Many passages in the Old Testament refer to this event 
of their tempting the Lord as kind of a, a typical event in their wilderness wanderings. The people didn't have water, they didn't have, they didn't have meat, and they complained and they tested God. This is for our learning that the, is, is clear from the New Testament itself. In 1 Corinthians 10, this event is cited among others as something for our learning. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers, the Jews, passed, were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, the Red Sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food. And this, they all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies are scattered in the wilderness. And Hebrews reminds us, too, in chapters 3 and 4, this is for our learning. In chapter 3, we're even warned, do not hearten your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. That could refer to all the 40 years. It was a long day of trial. But also, it would be a reference specifically to this day of their testing God in the wilderness that was at Massa and Meribah. So there's much for us to learn, much for us to learn of our sins and much for us to learn of God's care in this waste-howling wilderness, much for us to learn of Christ. You're here to learn of Christ in this wilderness You've come to the right place, a gospel-preaching place. Maybe you didn't expect this. Maybe there is a different message you were looking for. But this is the one which will be water for your life and for mine. So we want to consider the, uh, this place of Man, uh, Massa and Meribah, strange name given to Rephidim. We want to consider the name of the place because... The Bible here says, this is the name, and I want you to remember it. And then we want to consider what Israel forgot, the name of God in the place. For their sin was simply to think God was not there. If you read the last verse of our text, they were saying, is God with us? Is the Lord among us or not? This is what they were doing. They weren't believing in God's presence in the reality of the God of salvation. So we need to know the name of the place and the name of the God in the place. And then we need to know to flourish in our place in this wilderness. And that will be a, an application of these things. Well, here's the name of the place. It's Rephidim, first of all. Place we don't know the, the, uh, the location of, we don't know what it was like, except there was no water for the people to drink in that place of Rephidim. An ordinary place, an ordinary event. People had needs and they needed them to be fulfilled and filled if they were to survive. In fact, it was a life and death situation. Here's some Two million Jews who are in the wilderness and they're going deeper and deeper all the way to Mount Sinai and they'll get there and they'll spend a year there. And there's nothing that could conceivably, and from an earthly point of view, be for their very daily bread. Just before God had given them manna. And that manna would come down from heaven mysteriously, that manna, and would provide for them. But they need water. 
Where's the water to come from? Basic necessities, food and drink. It's a life and death perilous situation. And so there's a need there. And the people are reminded, as are we, that we are needy and we cannot provide for ourselves. Hope none of you is thinking that you provide for yourselves because you have a job. We provide for ourselves because we have food even before us or in the refrigerator, in the cupboard. We bring it on and we put it on the table. Well, you know, beloved, you can't even eat and drink to live unless God gives you life from the earthly things. He's that connected with the earthly things, is God, because he's God. And we're so part of the earthly things that we cannot live except there's an unearthly being called God, who is the giver and sustainer of life. Well, here is the situation. In desperate terms described, because the Bible would make it clear that God is God, he alone provides, and we are not. That's the message of all the Bible, and maybe a message we need to take very seriously, and maybe we've never taken it so seriously, but here it is. Well, there's also another picture here, another thing going on, that comes out in the reaction of the people to the need and to God apparently not being able to supply the need. What comes out is that this is the devil's playground. The wilderness is a picture of the devil's playground. Revelation 12, to which we referred at the very beginning of this series on the wilderness wanderings, we read that the people of God are kept in the wilderness from the devil. There's a people in the wilderness called the people of God, Old Testament and New. We'll get to that presently. But the devil's in the whole business. The devil is in the thickets. The devil is in the ravines. The devil is in the rainstorms that cause flash floods. The devil is in the drought. The devil is in the good things and the bad things of this world. He's this prowler. And Revelation describes him as someone who's frustrated. He tried to get Jesus, did the devil, when he was born in Bethlehem, the Christmas story, and he couldn't. God kept Jesus. And he tried to get Jesus, and he thought he'd kill him on the cross, but that was for his own destruction, the devil's own, and Jesus' glorification and resurrection. Well, Jesus is now in heaven, but what does the devil do? He's still this prince of the world and the prince of this world, which is like a wilderness. And he prowls around, and he works in circumstances, all circumstances, to spew forth his lies, and if he could... If it were possible to get the people of God from not being the people of God, that's especially his target. That's you. And that is I. We are his targets. And so we see this here. And this devil all the time is spewing forth his lies. And he works now presently in the people that they might believe a lie that God cannot possibly be with them when there is no water. So Revelation 12 and the rest of the Bible reminds us that there's a devil in the wilderness and reminds us as well, does the Bible, that the wilderness is the place of the people of God. I've been stressing that in these four or five sermons so far in, into the wilderness called. 
We are in the wilderness. The wilderness is how the Bible describes the fallen world, this present evil world. Now, you may not think so. Comstock Park really doesn't look like a wilderness. It looks like a park. It is a park. And there's a stream. And the flowers are blooming. And though you have allergies, nevertheless, there's beauty in it. And there's life in it. For the bees, not only, but for everything else that depends on the bees and God through the bees and whatever else there is of the little creatures that God would humble us by. Not a wilderness, certainly. And look what men do in this so-called wilderness. We make great cities and we make great inventions and we have houses and now we're tilling our ground and it doesn't seem like a wilderness because we've cultivated it. But the fact is, the Bible says there's this thing called the world, which is also called the wilderness, a place of devils and torment, and you cannot live just in this world if all you have is this world. The devil's in the business. There's vanity and emptiness here, and death, and scorpions, and great trials, It's impossible for us to live here except we know the grace of God. Well, beloved, this place Rephidim, because of the devil's prompting, but also because of this fact that we are sinners, he causes Israel to fall here. He causes Israel to fall, just like he can do with us. We're in this wilderness. This is the place for the church. Yet, the devil is at work constantly. So ordinary places, ordinary things of life, or hardships in life. Rephidim's where's no water. But it could be Grand Rapids where there's lots of water. Doesn't make a difference, but here there's no water. They become a place which are occasions for our falling into sin. It's the nature of the beast within us. The Romans 7 beast, the, the wretched man that I am, I, I, I try to do the good and I don't, and I try not to do the evil and I do it. That comes out here, big time. That's why the place, the ordinary place of Rephidim is named Massa and Meribah. The complaining, which is the... Uh, the Meribah part, that means complaining or chiding or protesting God. We're, we're not happy with God. Yields to the, the Massa part. That's the tempting of God. Now, to tempt God is basically not to trust him. It's to dr- distrust him. It's to mistrust him. And so that we're not thinking that God really can help us here or that he is what he says he is, or that he will promise to do what he's promised to do. That's what happens here. And that's why Israel must name the place uh, this way and always remember it to their shame. Remember Massa and Meribah. Remember your sin. Remember how you reacted to the fact that there was nothing there and you thought that God wasn't there either. We need to remember that. The sin of the sins was the questioning of the reality of God. 
That's the sin of all our sins. Is God real? Because God has revealed himself to be real. He is real. He's more real than we are, if we could say that. We're real too. But we're created reality. He's uncreated reality. He is what he is and who he is. This is what Moses learned at the burning bush at Horeb, to which he's now going to return, as God promised, with the people of God, who must believe the reality of God. But they don't. And all sin is not believing the reality of God, especially the reality of God among us. Is God Is the Lord, Jehovah God, among us or not? Is he? Really? I don't believe it. Prove it! That's what we do when there's someone we don't trust. Prove it, we say. Prove you're faithful. Prove it. Because we don't trust him. For some reason or not, and we can become very scornful in our life, can't we? People let us down. I don't know about you, but in my life, I found often I've trusted too much in people, institutions, even churches. They've all let me down. And I've trusted, of course, too much in myself. I've let myself down. We need to trust in God. The lesson of life, isn't it? And maybe there's some of you, you walk in today and say, yeah, I need to hear that. I need to hear. Trust in God alone and not putting my trust in, in anything or anyone. But it's to know that he's among us, you see. In Christ among us. This is the sin here. They're denying Jesus, the Christ. Now, I know Jesus hadn't been born yet. But if you know your Bibles... You know there's a reality of Jesus because he's the word of God. He's the speech of God. If ever there's anything that God would say, he says it by Jesus. By him, Jesus made the world, or God made the worlds by the word of God. He sustains the worlds by his speech as it is in the creator, redeemer, Jesus. And he saves his people by that same word. They're denying Jesus here. Now, beloved... This is just like, I was studying this, I, I pondered this. This is just like Eden, the first paradise. Think of that. In Eden, it was all perfect. But into the garden came the devil, slithered, no, walked the devil in the, the form of a snake and talked. And... He said to them just what they were being tempted to hear at this time at Massa Meribah. Has God said, has God said that you may not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Has God said, and does God mean all that he intends to say? Does he really mean you're going to die, or is he not really real about his threat Or is God really real about his mercy and that it's good to be under God and not just as God? Isn't God limiting you? That's the first temptation. You really trust this God who's put limitations on you? Who commands you? 
Do you really trust in God who's telling you, shape up, sinner. You're not the way you should be. Repent of your adulteries. Repent of your unbelief. Repent of all the things you've messed up, you've screwed up in your life. Purposely. Repent of all your forgetfulness and me-centeredness. Selfish. Just like the first sin. In fact, it's kind of like a second fall here. There's a fall from purity and the pristineness of the garden at the first. And here, however, amazingly, a fall from grace. Think of that. Now we know. Good biblical reformed people, there's no ultimate fall from grace, but there is little falls from grace, aren't there? And they're not little. They're all significant when we despise grace and we live like the devil and we, frust- we grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which we are sealed unto the day of redemption. But here there's this massive congregational complaint and tempting of God, distrusting him and God's man Moses and thinking all the worst that they've come to be destroyed, doubting the wisdom and the guidance of God. And it's just like us. And just like us, we do this thanklessly. This is our problem. Israel should have known. Israel should have known that God would provide. He led them out of Egypt, after all, the great powerhouse of the day. And for 400 years in bondage, and now they're liberated, and Pharaoh's, Pharaoh and his host, are, their bodies are strewn on the shore of the Red Sea, and they sing great praises to God, and God has provided thus far. They went to Marah, the water was bitter, he turned it into sweet. They went to Elam, there's 12 uh, wells of water there, and 70 palm trees, and, and then they're given the manna in the wilderness, and all along they're led by the pillar of God. No reason, therefore, to doubt the care of God now. And just like us, no reason to doubt the care of God now. But this is for our learning and for us to be taught in homes and in, from pulpits and in, on our own. We're just like this, so thankless. You've been forgiven? How do you show that? How do you show you've been forgiven? Principal way is you forgive others. You forgive others? You've been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Principal way is of thankfulness is you are holy and not compromised Christians. And you're not this compartmentalizing sort of a Christian that says, I'll be holy Sunday, but not the rest of the week. That's mine. That's my time. I'll be holy in public. Keeps the elders off the back anyway. Privately, it's my time. I'll be holy, but don't let the minister come in and say I'm not holy enough. As if we don't need anybody in the body of Christ to help us. Well, how are we doing, beloved? There is much, much for learning here. And the scripture says that we are to harden not ourselves 
as in the day of provocation. Psalm 95, verse 8, for example. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they saw my work for 40 years. I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. It's exactly the verses that are quoted in the New Testament with regard to us. It's a day of provoking and distrust. It's the epitome of what all sin is. But now, know the name then. So that would be repent. Know the name. You and I must know that name, Massa and Meribah. And that's where we were Friday night. And that's where we were in complaining last Monday when we began work at ordinary factory job. And we were saying, God, if you love me, you'll give me something better. Know the name Massa and Meribah. Know your own sinful self. We almost. But then know the name of God in the place. Do you think that God would let Israel and the devil have the last word? Of course not. He's the first and the last. And he speaks and it is so. And he has spoken and it will be so. God is among us. The Lord is among us. Israel tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us here? Is he really here? Is the Lord among us? The water isn't here. That's the sin. We look at stuff and we say, if that's bad stuff, God can't be here. If it's not here, what we want, God can't be here. But God says, I'm with you always. He's the creator, the provider, and the savior in Jesus Christ. His identity is God. You're meeting with God today, beloved, and he's meeting with us. He's the real God. He is so real that everything he works according to his decree, everything, all things he works according to his Eternal will, everything. There's not anything that happens that's not a work of God, even through devils, even though he doesn't get all the blame at all, any of the blame. He's working his counsel, his will. He's with us, especially in Jesus. Now, you think about this. We mentioned this. The sin is to deny God and to deny God with us in Jesus. Remember Jesus' name? The angel must name him because the name must match the reality. His name is Emmanuel. With us, God. That's who he is. He's with us, God. If he's not here, he's not Emmanuel. Because he's Emmanuel, he's here, among us, right here, in the wilderness, in the park. 
in the trials of life and the successes of life. And note, he came to the earth, he's so with us, he tabernacles among us. He is the one who, for our sake, was obedient in the same wilderness. Remember that in Matthew 4? The devil met Jesus. No, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to meet the devil, to be tempted on the behalf of Israel that was tempted 40 years. He'd be tempted 40 days after he fasted. Three times by the devil, every time he said it is written, he would not be tempted That is, he would not succumb to the temptation, nor especially would he tempt God. He was going to trust him. And then we know he's Emmanuel with us on the cross, for us, in our place. The one who goes and bears all the wrath of God and the wrath of man and devils for our sake to die for our sins. That means, beloved, we got to know that. You got to know Jesus. And the amazing thing that God gives us is that he gives us preaching not only, and we need to know Jesus in a gospel, Christ-centered church, but he gives us all things as well. All things and trials, God gives Jesus in them. Think, for example, of Israel. Moses is told by God, When he cries out to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord says, now you go on before the people. Don't stay here with them. You go on before a little ways, I don't know how far, but into the regions of Sinai called Horeb, where God had met with Moses in the burning bush and said, I am that I am. Announced that he was going to deliver the people through Moses. Promised that Moses would one day return to this very spot with the people of God under his charge to lead them to be the people of God officially. So Moses goes there and he takes a few elders with him to be witnesses of the fact, and he strikes the rock, some rock in that wilderness, and out of the rock flows this water and all the people are provided for. Amazing. More on that when we speak of the flourishing. But God provided God provided in that waste howling wilderness, even so that everyone drank of it. And the Bible says that all drank of the spiritual uh, drink, but with many, God was not well supplied, uh, uh, please, please, excuse me, meaning that there were some who drank, but who were not in it. And God was not blessing them, but actually judging them for for taking advantage of spiritual blessings that are given to the people of God. So Israel, given water from the rock, well, that's a picture of how God helps us in our wilderness, gives us Jesus in whatever it is. That's why the Bible says all things work for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. Linking it with the cross in verse 32, where Paul says that God who gave his son, shall he not also freely with him give us all things? That's an allusion, I believe, to Revelation 12, which says, in the wilderness, though the, earth, the, the devil would spew forth his lies and take us from our place as the people of God, God causes the earth itself to help us. That's a, that's, a, that's a ponderous word, a difficult word. But I believe, beloved, it's this. 
because of the cross, now the wilderness experiences, now all of your successes, now your bends in the road, now your limitations, now you're being crippled. Whatever it is, God is going to use to help you. And in the best possible way, he's going to use your cancer, he's going to use this difficulty in your life, he's going to lose, use your singleness, your married life, your difficult marriage, your, your difficult children, he's going to use your successes, everything in life, so that you know in these things the Lord. Don't we get it? In the wilderness, beloved congregation, we are, we don't have to go there, we are there, to know and meet the Lord. In your life, you must honestly say, there's nothing here, nothing has ever been here that's really given me peace. I need someone in the midst of my unrest and this present distress. Don't you know that? Don't I know that? That's what God's teaching us. That's why Paul says, or James says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials in your wilderness experience. And you meet with Rephidims so that you don't go to Massa and Meribah and, and make a mess out of your problems. You know that's our problem, don't you? The problems are our problems. The problem isn't Rephidim. The problem is our reaction to Rephidim. We compound the problems, we make them sin problems. And we wonder why we're not happy. Because of me, myself, and I. The great false trinity I'd make of myself and saying, God, you don't know as well as I do what I need. Know this. You have to preach this. You have to preach this gospel of the wilderness and God's, God's blessing of us in it. Now I say this in the midst of an evangelical world that's kind of left its moorings, not kind of, really has. When they're saying, for example, that the Christian experience is all a walk in the park. And maybe the Christian calling is to transform whatever is wilderness here into a, a great garden. We have earthly success according to the theonomic and post-millennial pipe dream. Beloved, this world is a wilderness, always will be. Evil men will wax worse and worse. We are called to know Christ in the wilderness. That's the point of preaching, to direct the people of God to be a wilderness people that finds Christ in the wilderness and calls men, sinners, and even the best of men to something higher and someone higher. And not a kind of Christian thing, but a real Christian God. Many false Christs with false gospels nowadays, very popular today. We have one gospel, the gospel of the cross of Calvary and our bearing the cross in the midst of this whole world, eating and drinking and being merry without the cross. And a church world, sadly, 
directing its people to be disappointed in anything but an earthly kind of success. Let's not go that way. We're salt and light in the world of the God who's not of this world, whose kingdom is not of this world, whose blessings are spiritual and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And this is my final point. We are to know these things, sin and the Savior, to flourish, to flourish. And there's nothing less that I desire for you or the elders desire for you than that, to flourish. After all, Revelation 12 says, God has provided a place for us to nourish us. And when God provides a place for us to nourish us, believe you shall be nourished. And it won't be that you're force-fed. It won't be that you're, you're fat, dumb, and happy and just sit back. It'll be so that you flourish in every sense of the word with, with water, after all, His water, His Holy Spirit, and the life and flourishing incomparable to anything in this life, a life of abounding in the knowledge of God and forgiveness and justification and sanctification and glorification and all of these cations that we we give to the theological doctrines is simply life that is bliss in the knowledge of spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I mean bliss. I refer, for example, to the places in the Bible that speak about in some kind of cryptic detail of what happened when Moses struck the rock. You can't really imagine it. Children, can you imagine Moses strike the rock, a little stream come out, and you go there, and we used to do this on the way to college. We'd stop at this well. It was supposed to have greatest water in the world. We'd all stop there about three hours into our trip upstate New York, and this well came out of a rusty pipe, and we drank it because it was supposed to be pure. Well, we get these pictures of what, what's this going to be like? Or, or maybe, yeah, some other description we have of it. But look what the Bible says happened then. Psalm 78, in the daytime also he led them with the cloud and all the night with the light of fire. He split the rocks in the wilderness, rocks, plural, and gave them drink in abundance like the depths. He also brought streams out of the rock and caused waters to run down like the rivers. Now, does that help that picture for you? Moses strikes the rock. Look out! From heaven through a rock is coming this incomparable quality of water and abundance of water, enough to feed two million people over and over again, and at Sinai, it might have been that there was this water that turned into a reservoir. They might have made furrows to direct it to themselves. There was so much they could hardly have uh, know what to do with it. But they could never complain. God did not provide enough. He did. In fact, the Bible says in another place that this was like honey from the rock. Honey and oil. It was so abundant. It wasn't tasteless waters. It tasted sweet. It tasted good. It was for the refreshing, especially of the souls. Now, 
That's the flourishing that God gives his way. In answer to Moses, in spite of the people. And God gives us that today as well. So what are we called to do here? The word of God and be lifted up in your faith today. Stop walking by sight in this wilderness. Walk by faith when you come to a spot that doesn't really please you. Wait on the Lord and do not complain or test God and say, well, I don't like it here. I don't need to be here. Not good to be here. God's not here. Believe in God and believe even that through affliction, he's loving you. He's the chastening father after all. You're not chastened. It's because, well, maybe you have to think, is God really my father? He whom the Lord loves, he chastens like a father his children. And we say with the psalmist in Psalm 119, affliction is for my profit. So drink from the rock. Drink from the rock. Just this rock. Now I know, enjoy, please enjoy this earth. God doesn't give us to be, you know, so spiritual that we're, we have an out-of-body experience. Enjoy your gardens. Enjoy your your, uh, your homes, enjoy times off and go to the beach or whatever you do, if you have any leisure to do that. Enjoy that. But just remember this. Someone has likened all of that this earth provides to like puddle water. It's just puddle water. It's just earthly things. Puddle water. Whereas mosquitoes breed. Best that we can do is water out of a hose, we're out of a well that we make. Well, think of that too. If you have an opportunity to drink out of a hose, don't do it if you have something better. But water from the rock, that's what you drink of primarily. That satisfies and that is for your good and the witness of the people uh, of God to the people around you. Drink from the rock. Go to where Ever God commands you. We ought to know every single stop in this wilderness journey was commanded of God. He led them to Rephidim. He led them there. He leads you to your Rephidim, to your ordinary place. He gives you your job, or he takes it away. He gives you a mate, or he withholds one. He gives you your desires, or he says, now wait on me, and I'll change your desires so that you are blessed in your receiving what you desire. Whatever it is, be faithful, just like Daniel's three friends. When they were faced with the choice, worship God or worship the idols of Nebuchadnezzar, they chose to worship God. And they had to go through the fiery furnace. So be it, they said, God's able to deliver us or not. All I know, they were saying, is God is among us. Do we say that? Is God among us or not? What do you believe? Amen. We pray, Father, that we may not harden our hearts to the hard things of life, but soften our hearts to the God of our life. Thanks for Jesus, for being present for his sake in all things, to love us. Thanks for the wonderful gift of the Bible that teaches us in, from cover to cover of the gospel of our salvation, 
from this wilderness and of your preservation of us in it to be your people, giving glory to God in all things. Thanks for your blessing upon the sermon. May it show in the narthex as we talk with one another and reflect upon the word of God. May this day be a celebration of you and of your faithfulness and of your son. Return us to this house in your good time, a good place to be, a place where the gospel redirects us and reorients us to heaven, where we are headed, the promised land after this wilderness and this pilgrimage of wandering. For Jesus' sake, amen.